0: This is my real voice with a summertime cold. So, I will not be shaking any hands today. There will be no hugging. (laughs) Sorry, Thomas. At least me. I'm not much of a hugger anyway, but... And I plant trees, I don't hug them. Anyway, um, this morning, one of the things we're going to do is a little bit of fun to start out with. And I need to give that disclaimer. There is no intention of hobby-horsing any one of the Christian, some, some kind of ministry-type things that go on in the church today. But uh, we're going to look at a spiritual gifts checklist. So that you can, what I would like for you to do, those that you have a pen and a pencil, get out a piece of paper and record the slide number and the number of the answer that you would record. There will be, on almost every slide, there are four possibilities. Just number one, number two, number three, number four, and then the elders will help you discover what your spiritual gift is based on this test. I'm glad to hear the laughing, (laughs) because that's exactly what you should do. Actually, and and at the end, we may not make it today, but we will be going over the spiritual gifts, a list of them, and and what they kind of look like. But uh, you'll notice that there's no checklist in the scripture, um, and I think that's important. I think... One of the problems is we get too busy focusing on the trees, and we forget the forest. We need to be busy about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Spirit of God, and He will make evident where you are truly effective. But uh, let's open in prayer. Father, thank you this morning that, that you have given gifts, and that the greatest gift of all, if we can call it that, it's, it's, it, that word just falls far short of describing the Lord Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation on the cross to the elect. We thank you, Lord. We honor you. We lift you up. We magnify your name today. And we want to remind ourselves and thank you that the Scripture is sufficient to bring us to that knowledge. Help us this morning as we study, continue our study in the spiritual gifts to be discerning, intentional, and thankful. For these gifts that you have given the body of Christ, for the propagation of the gospel, and for the magnification of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's in His name we pray. Amen. So let's um, let's actually take the test, and then we will have our scripture reading. Number one, which of the following ministries do you feel called to serve in? Sermon heckling, disc golf ministry, plexus sales. Or the Lord hasn't specifically laid anything on my heart, so I'm just going to hang out and let everyone else do all the work. What's a plexus? I don't know. I think coupled with the the word solar, it has to do with something under your breastbone here, but I don't know what plexus is. I think it's some kind of multi-marketing thing. Multi, I do. Okay. Question one. If you've got your answer recorded, number two. You're asked to provide Sunday morning uh you're asked to provide res- refreshments on Sunday morning. What do you bring? Number 1, Krispy cream donuts. Number 2, powdered donuts. Number 3, a non-caffeinated soda pop. Number 3, 4, a double IPA microbrew. This will give deep insight into your spiritual gift. Number 3, which of these sounds like a great night to you? Curling up on the couch to read an obscure theology book no one else has ever heard of. Number 2, pounding a six-pack while watching UFC. Number 3, picking Picketing a charismatic church. Number four, blasting noobs on Call of Duty online with your Christian gamer tag. I don't even know what that means, but <laughs> which is evangelism. Please make your selections. The pastor says something confusing during his sermon. What do you do? Fire off a 4,000-word email criticizing him from an anonymous email account. Number two, stand up in the middle of the sermon and loudly repeat, Here I stand, I can do no other, over and over again. Number three, phone him late at night, breathe heavily till he gets scared enough to transfer to another congregation. Or number four, try to sell him an essential oil that helps with communication skills. <laughs> and again, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not slamming any of these things. I, this was just so funny, I had to bring it. Number four, wh- whatever this one is, which of the following instruments do you play? Number one, dove-shaped tambourine. Number two, a conch of blessing. Number three, a pipe organ. Number four, guitar, but I only know four and a half chords. And then which of these best describes your style of ministry? Hiding in the background, I prefer no one knows that I exist. Number two, which is what the Corinthian church was struggling with, it's all about me, baby. Oh, do you need that? There we go, yeah, you gotta record it. Skulking in the back pew, hoping I don't get volunteered for anything. (coughs) Or volunteering for every short-term missions trip to idyllic locations. What's your favorite book of the Bible? One and two, Nephi. Who knows where that is? (laughs) Number two, the book of my opinions. (laughs) Number three, John. And number four, I really just read it for the cool maps in the back. Next question, a church family is moving out of state and asks for help loading up their junk. How do you respond? Number one, make them a casserole. Do you need that? Make them a casserole. Number two, their sight is based on movement, stand really still and they won't see you. Number three, sacrificially volunteer your spouse for help. And number four, tell them you'll pray for them even though you have no intention of actually praying for them. Which of the following miraculous sign gifts do you possess? The burning in the bosom. Number two, recruiting other church members into multi-level marketing schemes. Number three, knocking people over with your expensive magical suit jacket. And last, finding a gospel connection in every Netflix, Netflix original television show. Last question, which didn't make it. I'll read it to you. A Chick-fil-A worker doesn't say my pleasure when you ask for an extra packet of sauce. What do you do? Triggered, I roll on the ground and yell, my Chick-fil-A, until the owner offers me a free chicken sandwich. Number two, I leave a passive-aggressive comment for the manager. Number three, the worker is obviously unhappy. Recruiter into your work-from-home business to improve her quality of life. Or last, meh, Chick-fil-A is overrated. The fun that's punched, that's poked at this, is, is actually fairly appropriate, because when we get caught up, in the idea of a spiritual gift, so much so as they did in the Christian church, in the Corinthian church, that we focus on the more showy of those gifts. We focus on being one up on those around us, being better than the people that, the other people that sit in, the, in our church, the others that are serving the Lord. Our ministry is better. Our ministry is more important. You need me. Those are the kinds of things that Paul has taken great pains to deal with in this book. And uh, so we're going to see that as we read through the the rest of chapter 12 and as we finish through chapter 13 and chapter 14, the lovely interlude of chapter 13, the love chapter, which I call the infrastructure of the gifts, in the same way that in order to move into a community, you need an infrastructure. You need power, water, septic, and roads. You need the, the matrix of things that make the community work. Well, the the matrix that makes the gifts work in the church is love. And when we get to that chapter, we will deal with that, and we will see how the Corinthians were not observing that infrastructure as as they should have. But with that in mind, so have all of you discovered what your spiritual gift is now? By the way, it's Krispy Kreme donuts. Donuts? Okay, we're all on the same page here. Okay, all the fun aside, actually, the study of the Word of God is fun, so I shouldn't say that. All of the different kind of fun aside, let's read chapter 12, and we're going to read, let's read the whole chapter. I don't think we'll make it that far, but get some local context. Now, Paul says, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware, which means they were unaware. You know... That when you were pagans, you were led astray to the dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another the gifts of healing by the to another gifts of healing by the one spirit and to another the effecting of miracles and to another prophecy and to another the distinguishing of spirits to another various kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues But one of the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, for by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many." If the foot should say, "Because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body," it is not a reason. It is not. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, "Because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body," it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow bestow more abundant honor. And our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness, whereas our seemly members have no need of it, but but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. But there should be no division in the body, but but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, their teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you still a more excellent way. A still more excellent way. So Paul, in these lists, I want you to note too, um, just for purposes of of understanding Paul's motivation to bring the Corinthians back to the scripture, back to um, sound doctrine. He mentions the gift that they they were abusing the worst last. And I don't think, I believe that was intentional, at least it's my, my belief that it was, was truly intentional. So we finished last week, actually we didn't finish with verse 10. We were beginning to look at verse 10, um, the effecting of miracles. And as we looked at that, there were 37 miracles of Jesus that I read, I read some of the scriptures from those miracles. This was the most miracle rich time that is recorded in scripture the Lord Jesus Christ was the most important person in history to have his message authenticated by the Father. And it was indeed authenticated by these miracles and by his his ability to speak as no one else had ever spoken. The scribes and Pharisees noticed that too, much much to their dismay. Then there were the miracles of the Apostles. God authenticated the work of the Apostles that way. The miracles were also done, these miracles were also done to authenticate the message of the apostles and to confirm that they were indeed the emissaries directly sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ to found the church. And it is important to note that the only miracles involving nature were done by Christ. The disciples and the apostles never performed a miracle involved nature, involving nature. They cast out demons, they healed cripples, they raised the dead, and then they performed other wonders. The miracles in the book of Acts are mentioned only in the presence of apostles. No miracle in the apostolic era was performed without an apostle or a direct apostolic representative present. Either they performed it themselves or one of those closely associated with them did, such as Barnabas. God, by his grace, granted the signs and wonders that that they, the apostles, did in order for them to be known as authentic and direct messengers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 14, verse 3. Scripture says therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace that si- granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands he was testifying to the word of his grace by granting that signs and wonders be done by their, hand, their hands if a christian pursues the miraculous he will be setting himself up to be deceived Nowhere are believers counseled, commanded, or even encouraged to seek a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in signs and wonders. What believers are counseled to do, however, is number one, to walk by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And the Spirit counsels us through the words of Scripture. Number two, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians four thirty. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Our disobedience grieves the Holy Spirit. It it brings grief to His heart. I I anthropomorphize it because I don't know how else to communicate it. But we know what it's like to have our children bring grief to us. This is what it's talking about. Number three, we are to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians five eighteen, and do not. Get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That, as we will see, is an again and again thing in our lives as we trust God to work through us His mercy. Number four, pray in the Spirit. Jude one twenty or Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. We are to seek Him as we pray so that we can communicate to God in the most effective manner. Interestingly enough, And again, for the purposes of proper doctrine and direction, Jesus himself said that only the wicked and only a wicked and adulterous people continually seek for a sign. In Matthew chapter 1 through four, he said the Pharisees, the scripture says, the Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah, and he left them and went away. Be careful in seeking for signs. Scripture is sufficient. I'm going to be repeating that a lot, especially as we enter the month of October, which is the Reformation, the... the, uh, celebration of the anniversary of the Reformation. And one of the things that came out of that celebration was sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our, our anchor, our, our, our tool, I, I, our, our reproof, our, our instruction, for our correction for living in righteousness according to the word. <coughs> that was a sign for me to remove that thing from my pocket. Take that to heart. We are not commanded to seek miracles. We are commanded to live by the Spirit. We are commanded to trust the Scripture. We are commanded to walk according to the Word of God. We do not need signs and wonders, and if we think we do, it bespeaks a generation that is more apt to respond to titillation and spectacle rather than to the wonderful, finished Word of God. We need the Scriptures. We do not need signs and wonders. Even during the times of the apostles, it was not normal for the average Christian to perform miracles, signs, and wonders. If it was, it would have been foolish for Paul and the others to authenticate their apostleship by citing the miracles they had done. Others could have said, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, we performed our own miracles. That didn't happen. No, miracles were designed just like, but miracles were just, let me re- restate that, since I didn't state it at all the first time. No, miracles were just that, something that was incredibly out of the ordinary, performed by someone who was designed by God to do so, who was given the authority by God to do so, to authenticate God's message to the time, to the people of the time. It should never be said of believers that we need a sign. It should always be said that we love, revere, and look to the scripture to give us everything we need to live godly for Christ Jesus. Let us, with the saints of old, say this, that we magnify the word of God above everything. Psalm 138, 2. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. You have magnified your word according to all your name. That is the truth that we have for today. Any, well, let's, I'll finish up the rest of this verse. Actually, the, the, the second gift in this verse is the gift of prophecy. When we hear that word, we commonly think of predicting the future. In its original intent, the word meant forth telling. Or clarification of what has come before. The prophet's main responsibility was to bring to mind, was to bring the mind of God into clear perspective for the people of God. A small part of that, at the times as necessary, was indeed predicting the future. But mostly prophets spent their time using the existing word of God to combat false teaching. Early scholars attempted to parse the origins of the word prophet, originally trying to derive the noun from a verbal root. From this, this they postulated that the idea was one of ecstatic utterance, that the original foundation of the word for prophet was. However, this was incorrect. Later exercises in, in discerning the original intent of the word determined that it has come from a noun which at its root meant to be an announcer. And in the case of Scripture, an announcer of God. A prophet is one who receives word from God and forth tells it. More often than not, that word was insightful, exhortative, full of foresight into God's plans, and sometimes had an element of predictive agency, warning the hearers of coming judgment. It is very clear in Exodus chapter 7 what the intent of a prophet was. Exodus 7, 1 and 2, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as a god to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Aaron, as Moses' prophet, communicated God's words to Pharaoh. He was authorized by God to speak for Moses, and this case, and in this case indirectly for God himself. One man put it this way, as a mouthpiece or spokesman for God, the prophet's primary duty was to speak forth God's message to God's people in the historical context of what was happening among God's people. The broadest meaning is that of foretelling, giving forth the mind of God, not foretelling, not predicting the future. That was the broadest principle, the broadest um, sense of it. The narrower meaning is that of foretelling. In the process of proclaiming God's message, the prophet would sometimes reveal that which pertained to the future. But contrary to popular opinion, this was only a small part of the prophet's message. Forthtelling involved insight into the will of God. It was exhortative, challenging men to obey. On the other hand, foretelling entailed foresight into the plan of God. It was predictive, either encouraging the righteous in view of God's promises or warning in view of coming judgment. So the prophet was the divinely chosen spokesman who, having received God's message, proclaimed in oral, visual, or written form to the people. For this reason, a common formula used by the prophets was, thus says the Lord, or in the King James, thus saith the Lord. This gift is an ongoing gift which is exclusively dedicated to forthtelling and explaining, more often than not, publicly, the word of God. With the closing of the canon of scripture, there is no more need for the predictive agency of prophecy today. So prophecy today can be seen in the office of a teaching elder and speaks forth the counsel of God from the scriptures from the scriptures, not from private revelation, not from visions, not from a burning in the bosom, not from any other kind of stomach ache either. It is using the word of God to encourage, exhort, and we're gonna see one of the primary offices of the prophet is comfort, to comfort the people of God. All prophets, but especially the New Testament prophet primarily spoke prophecy for edification, exhortation, and comfort, 1 Corinthians 14, three and four but one who prophesies speaks to men, Paul says, for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. This was and is still an important responsibility and gift in the church. Today's prophets give insight into the text of Scripture. They edify and exhort believers to serve God wholeheartedly, and they comfort those who are experiencing difficulty. They do not predict the future. Because if they did, they would win every football... um, What do you call those? Pool, yeah. Every football pool, they they would have every single... PowerPoint numbers in their minds. God would, I mean, it's foolish to even consider it. But what the modern prophet does is he, ex- he exhorts, he encourages, and he comforts from the scripture, Lanny. I was just going to say, and the church would be built. And the church would be? Built. Built or built? Our church would be built. Our church would be built. <laughs> yes, it sure would. Because we are. Um, because we're called to test the Spirit, this next gift... By the way, any comments about the prophecy? So when you hear someone predicting the future, if the smallest part of it doesn't come true, we're not following the Old Testament penalty, but the Old Testament penalty was, guess what? They lost their Costco membership. <laughs> no, it was death. Because there was, God wanted no question whatsoever about the distinction between his prophets and false prophets. If a prophecy didn't come true, they were to be executed. Now, we don't have that penalty today, but they should not be followed by believers in the, in the Christian church, in the elect body of God. The next gift, the distinguishing of spirits or discernment, discernment, because we are called to test the spirits, is very important. It presupposes a familiarity with the scriptures because therein lies the, lie the test we must apply to those making claims about God. 1 John one, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. At the time of the founding of the church, this gift would have been especially necessary. False prophets abounded, and as the scriptures were being compiled, every error that visits us today, either in in germ form or in fully developed form was in the making. Groups such as the Bereans were very effective in winnowing out the true from the false. That group politely but effectively and carefully subjected even Paul's teaching to the scrutiny of scripture. Acts chapter 17, 11 and 12. Now, speaking of these Bereans, Paul says, Paul said, or the Luke says, These were, e- were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. One other commentator put it this way, The gift of discerning spirits enabled its possessor to discriminate true prophets from false and judge whether what was announced came from God or was an illusion. Such a gift was indispensable to the church at a time when false prophets abounded, forced their way into congregations, and increased every year in numbers and audacity. There were false teachers, as St. John intimates, who preached their own doctrine as a revelation imparted to them from above. We see that today. Their own revelation from above. If it conflicts with Scripture, then it's a lie. If it agrees with Scripture, it wasn't needed. Note that the result of the Berean examination, what was the result of the Berean examination? Was that many of them believed. They compared Paul's teaching to the scriptures that they had and they found that he was accurate and therefore they believed his message. Everyone who has the responsibility to preach or teach in the church should be grateful for those in the body who subject their teachings to the scrutiny of scripture. What is the result? When you hear me on a Sunday morning, when you hear Jim on a Sunday morning, and you subject our teaching to scripture, there are three possible results. Approbation and belief, encouragement, consolation. The possibility of iron sharpening iron, where I've had folks come up to me after the Sunday morning teaching session and say, did you ever think about this? And I hadn't. And so iron sharpened iron. I was encouraged, I was exhorted, I was was taught. And any teacher who thinks he can't be taught, he's right. He can't be. He's an old dog and he needs to be gotten rid of. He's a horse that can't be ridden. Get rid of him. The third thing is a calling out and a rejecting of false teaching. And we have people in this congregation who do that. And we need to be so grateful for them. I can't believe what people will believe today. I mean, I see some of the stuff in some of these threads, and I go, no, they don't really believe that, do they? Let me, let me repeat one word and one, and one number and see what you think. Area 51. Enough said. So the three results of our body of Christ here at Kootenai subjecting the teaching to the, script, the scrutiny of Scripture will be belief... Iron sharpening iron, or calling out and rejecting a false gospel. All three results are desirable. Those who have this gift seem to have a special ability to recognize lying spirits. They are given special insight by the Holy Spirit to discern what may seem on the surface to be scriptural, but have underlying false doctrine. In the early days of the church, these were the church's protectors. If the believers in the Corinthian church who had this gift were being consulted, likely many of the situations and difficulties that occurred in the church would not have happened. They were either being ignored or they were not using their gift. This gift can be used by Christians to help settle issues between believers rather than going to court. This is the person Paul was possibly speaking to in 1 Corinthians 6 where he said in verse five, I say this to your shame, is it so that there is not among you one wise man (coughs) who will be able to decide between his brethren The word here for decide is the same word used in verse 10 for distinguishing. This gift can be very effective in discerning false spirits. False teaching can be rooted out by comparing it to scripture. But false spirits can only be discerned by one who has the true gift of discerning of spirits from the Holy Spirit. An example of this gift in operation occurred in Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas were followed by the girl with the spirit of divination. What she said was true. But her motivation was to discredit the apostles and associate them with the works of darkness, which she was part of. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. And it happened it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her master's much gift, much um, profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bondservants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Is that true? Were they bondservants of the most high God? Were they proclaiming the way of salvation? That was true. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of, her, out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Comparing her words to scripture would not have exposed her. Paul, through the gift of discernment given to him by the Holy Spirit, recognized her motivation and exposed her. He then cast the demon from her and freed her from that horrible influence. There are those in the church who have that gift. I'm not one of them. <laughs> um, how many of you, just think about this. There are those of you who can spot a con just within the few first minutes that it starts. How many of you know that I own a grandfather clock? It's not in my home. I've paid the shipping for it 30 years ago. I'm not one of those who can spot a con. (coughs) I hope it's keeping the right time. That's why we need to gather around us and be aware of those who have the ability to spot those kinds of things. The fourth gift in this list is various kinds of tongues. This will be dealt with in greater detail when we get to chapter 14, but it's important to note that this gift, this gift is described with the Greek word for languages, glossa. And if you look at it, the normative experience, the normative understanding of this word was languages. So it was, it was uh, Aramaic and Greek and Latin at the time of the founding of the church, and whatever other languages there were, and I, I hesitate to begin naming them because I'm not sure of all of them, but there were a lot. Scripture actually has quite a lot to say about this misused gift of the, Christian, of the Corinthian church. And the reason this gift has so much focus in the, these chapters of 1 Corinthians is because it was being so abused, and Paul had to deal with that. He had to deal with the abuse. I'm not going to read every scripture, but if someone would like this list, these are, the, these, are the, these are some of the scriptures that deal with the gift of tongues. And as you can see, there are quite a few. I'll just go through them slowly here uh, so you can write it all down. Okay, you all done? Good. With Pentecost, as the first mention, we note several things about the gift of tongues, which again will be developed more fully when we get to chapter 14, when we expose chapter 14. In Acts chapter 2, when the apostles were preaching, each one of them spoke in a language that they did not previously know, an unknown language that was understood by some in the audience who were astounded that these illiterate and unlearned Galilean fishermen would be able to speak the word of God to them in their own language. Now, we're not told how many, but I assume quite a few. I don't know, but I suspect that when God did this, there are, yes, I would have to say, I I think that it was probably perfectly in their language because the Holy Spirit did it. The Holy Spirit empowered these men to speak in a language that was understandable to the hearers. So the folks in in the audience that spoke Persian understood this message in Persian. And if they were, Jim, it wasn't, they didn't hear it. What's the, how, how am I, I, and I have this, this is one of those Berean things where a, someone came up to me after a Sunday and corrected me. Um, I didn't even think about distinguishing this. The language wasn't spoken, it didn't go through the air and then was interpreted into their language. It came out of Peter's mouth, it came out of Philip's mouth and the other men who were speaking there in the language that the Holy Spirit made it come out in. So those people heard it in their own language. They heard it. They understood it. And what was the purpose of it? Pardon? To authenticate, to authenticate the apostles' message and to give the gospel. What was Peter doing? He wasn't talking about the, the politics of the day. He didn't, wasn't giving the Dow Jones averages in Rome. He was preaching the gospel. He was telling those people that they had killed the Lord of glory, but it was intended to be so for their salvation. Jim? means all those other languages that are there but the pentecost and when the people who were there heard it they said we hear these been speaking in our own philios particular the language they use a different greek or dialectos which means each dialect uh-huh. so Aha I forgot this. that And that answers the question you had. It was specific to the hearer because God deals with people, with individuals, not with groups. And so, and what would we, ex- would we expect less of the Holy Spirit of God than to provide an exact language that couldn't be missed, to authenticate the apostles' work as mission, uh, as uh, apostles of the Most High God? So with that first mention, uh, where was I? They, they, they were astounded that these unlearned Galilean fishermen would be able to speak the word of God to them in their own dialect, in their own language. Again, in Acts chapter 10, when the believers began speaking in tongues, they were exalting God as the others were there, heard them do so. So we see um, these believers were speaking in a known language as well. Nothing in any of the passages regarding tongues indicates that there would be something different than what was done in Acts chapter 2. And so we see that when the Holy Spirit gives the gift of languages, it is just that, known languages. It is also critical to note that the apostles didn't speak in some sort of gibberish that was miraculously translated to the hearers in their own language. Rather, the text says just what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Paul has to continually downplay this particular gift because of, ex- because of its ecstatic nature. The Corinthians were drawn to it. They were also bringing into the church the baggage of their previous lives, their previous pagan lives, which had often included ecstatic utterances. This was a common um, aspect of the pagan religions ecstatic utterances in gibberish, in un- unknown, unknown tongues. For those who are listening, I did the little quotation marks in the air. Um, it was a common pagan occurrence, and this is what the Corinthians brought into the church. In chapter 14, he commends prophecy because it edifies men whereas tongues does not. He chides them for their, devolving, for their devolving into ecstatic utterances that had neither purpose nor meaning. This will be more fully developed again as we work on chapter 14. The last gift mentioned is the gift of interpretation of tongues. This is also a sign gift that is closely allied with the gift of tongues and will be dealt with at length when we exposit chapter 14. One final observation, it was these miraculous sign gifts that were being summarily abused by the Corinthians, and Paul does his level best to point the Corinthians to the more necessary and effective gifts, such as prophecy, in chapter 14, verse 1, where he says, "...pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy, especially that you may make clear the word of God to those around you for exhortation, for comfort." for encouragement, does God's Word comfort comfort you? Does it encourage you? Does it exhort you to follow Him? And that is what the Holy Spirit is about doing in the Corinthian church, as well as in the church of God throughout history. Now, I'm going to next week, or actually, I think Jess may be teaching next week, but I'm going to actually go through a list of the gifts and at some point give kind of a definition what you need to understand when I do that, and I will restate this, is that every gift will look different in every believer. Because it'll include your, typic, your past history, it'll include your talents, and it'll include the way God designed you to exercise that gift. He's not going to use you in an exactly the same manner as someone else, because then you would be unnecessary. He's going to use you in a manner that will bring him, number one, the most glory, that will utilize your gift properly, (coughs) and that will magnify the gospel, that will bless, encourage, and exhort the elect. And in your life, if you're a teacher, your gift of teaching will look differently than teaching in the life of someone else. That is why it is so, dangerous is too strong a word, but it is so, we need to be careful when we give a list of the gifts and what they look like. It's gonna be general statements, but God will use that gift in your life in a manner that will most bless his people. And it therefore may look different than the same gift in someone else's life. And we are, just as, just as Jesus warned the apostles not to compare themselves with one another in the Gospels, we are not to do that. We are to be about the business of magnifying the Son of God with the gifts that he has given us. We are to be about the business of preaching the gospel, of giving the gospel, whether it's forth telling in a public assembly or one-on-one or with children or as a missionary or in your workplace, whatever it is, that is what we are to be about. We are to be about living our lives not according to some vision or some stomachache we had two days ago, but according to what the text of Scripture says as compared with other portions of Scripture. And as you study it, and you, you strive to understand it. You get counsel from godly people who are able to direct you. We are not to be seekers of signs. We are not to be seekers of, of titillation, of, of those kinds of things. We are to be awestruck that he gave us this book by which we could guide our lives, by which we can honor him, by which we can speak forth the mysteries, the mysteries, of God, which are recorded here, that we have understood so that the world might know that there is a God and He is awesome, He is overall, and He is worth serving. And His elect will spend eternity with Him. And it's going to be an unbelievable eternity. And it's all recorded right here. What more do we need? We have the book. Has the movie ever been better than the book? I can't tell you how many times I've watched a movie and said, that's not following the book. Well, when somebody's movie doesn't follow the book, remember what Scripture says. Scripture is sufficient. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that you have given us your holy word, that it is all-encompassing, that it is perfect, that it is what is necessary for us to live lives godly in Christ Jesus, and we need nothing else. We do Thank you that you have done that. We marvel at how you have protected it through through the millennia. And we give you the glory that you would not leave your people without exhortation, without comfort, and without admonition so that we might live our lives in a way that will glorify you. And we ask that you would give us the ability to obey you today as we do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church.